Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm slash partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Stories to Keep You Up at Night. I'm Marco Palmieri, and I've got my favorite steampunk enthusiast here with me, Diana Fo. Oh, thank you. And... I am so excited with part one. I mentioned previously about how P. Jelly Clark and I have been connected to the steampunk community and how you can see just like hints of it throughout the story, whether it's airships, whether it's talking about rebellion and revolution. That is what I think we need just more of in general, just talking about how steampunk really is punk. It's more than just the gears. It's more than just the rusty parts. It's about reshaping your mind and reforging the world. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's just me and my soapbox. I'm just a step off right now. I, I, you know, <laughs> we we talked about this ahead of time. We said we you would have an opportunity to talk about your love of steampunk, and you certainly did that. So I have nothing I can add to it. I enjoy steampunk very much, but I, you know, my enthusiasm for it pales before yours, I have to say. And of course, we're talking about With a Golden Risha, a story by P. Jelly Clark. We featured part one in our previous episode, and now we're about to feature part two. So, Diana, do you want to recap part one? Yeah, more than happy to. Sala, a talented but bereft oud player, is kidnapped by the infamous pirate prince and his crew. On board their airship, Sala soon befriends these colorful casts of misfits, and after his first raiding party, he gets drawn into a mysterious and perhaps dangerous adventure. So without further ado, please enjoy part two of With a Golden Risha, written by P. Jelly Clark and voiced by Wallace Hammond. It was some evenings later that Saleh received a summons to Osman's quarters. He groaned. It had been two days since the raid on the freighter, during which Osman had sequestered himself to his hold. Two blessed days of not having to listen to the man's philosophical lectures now come to an end. With flirting praise to the blushing cook, he finished off a bowl of stewed chicken and beans cooked in buttery sugar, then made for the upper deck. 
Along the way, he tried again to complete the Yuangari sleight-of-hand trick with a rice cake, but to no avail. Raven-haired Dali passed him, laughing at his fumbling, her pearl-black eyes smoking with possibilities. He turned to admire her swaying hips, but no more. Dali shared her bed with Barisha and a whip-lean, adept, knife-wielding Adali called Zito. Salah had no intention of intruding upon their tryst. That was trouble he could do without. Downing the rice cake, he made his way to Asman's cabin, where he knocked before being admitted entrance. The room was larger than most quarters of the ship, and Osman used it as a general meeting place, sleeping in a simple woven hammock. Flickering tallow candles lit the space amid stacked books and manuscripts, which Osman claimed to consult for his grand work. This evening, the pirate prince stood in the center of the room. Kuli stood beside him. Salih looked past the man's sour stare to find more persons of general importance among the crew, including Barisha, who idly twirled a dagger while staring down at a lacquered table. They were all staring at the table, where a broad parchment lay stretched across its length. Peace be with you, old player, Osman greeted, looking up to acknowledge him. Lucky fool, Barisha teased, tossing a lone graying forelock from her eyes. Salah returned the evening's peace with a grimace. The raid had been celebrated for its whole, mostly trade goods and some new workers for ransom and the bowels. It was the one's own mercy that no one on either ship had died, but Isha attributed it to the old player's full luck, and the crew eagerly affixed him with the nickname. Fortune smiles on the just, Osman said by rote, never losing his grin. But I didn't call to have you pluck your Risha today. He beckoned Saleh closer, pointing to the table. Recognize it? Saleh looked down and nodded. As was custom on the beggar, one-twelfth of the looted goods had been split among the raiding party. All else was divided evenly under Osman's watchful eye. Saleh never fashioned himself a thief, but what else to do among bandits? This particular item had been one of the rolled parchments bundled in the arms of the fleeing imperial archivist. I speak five languages in the old tongues, Osman said, and devils take me if this isn't written in one I cannot. What do you say, old player? Saleh looked to the faded brown parchment, where a mishmash of shapes sat imposed on a blue background. Lines of unbroken script surrounded the crumbling edges, with more writing on the inside. I can read it, he answered. Perhaps his time at Alm wasn't a full waste. Osman clapped his large hands. Praise the one and the many. You are good luck. Saleh smiled sheepishly and scrutinized the parchment. Some of these are names and others look like directions. I'd say it's a map. A murmur rose up in the room and Saleh looked about. Osman met his questioning gaze. Just the confirmation we needed, old player. The man you liberated this from was indeed an archivist and quite corrupt. He pilfers rare writings from the imperial libraries and sells them to wealthy collectors. He was on his way to deliver this parchment and other items to a buyer. He tried to use it as his ransom, claiming it was a map, to a place called Arachi. That's here, Saleh nodded, pointing to a shape on the map emblazoned in calligraphy. Where is that? Arachi? I've never heard of it. Osman paused, his dark face lit by shadows and candle flame because it hasn't been called that in a thousand years, he murmured. Most today remember it as Jabal's doom. Salah's eyes rounded. 
King Jabal? Arachi is where King Jabal ruled? Osman arched an eyebrow to him. So the stories say. The stories say many of things, Kuli chirped. That they did, Saleh thought. Jabal was a king dead now at least a thousand years, long before the founding of the kingdoms. He ruled a city of vast riches that travelers spoke of in wonder. His power, and that of his kingdom, had been gained through dark sorcery. By some means, Jabal summoned and bound the terrible Ifrit, which plundered other lands, bringing him their riches. Fearful rulers bowed and offered tribute, lest the Ifrit be loosed upon them. But Jabal grew careless. The Ifrit broke from his control and laid waste to his city. They say a dark cloud covered Arachi, Barisha recalled, even the ships at port. And from that blackness, all that could be heard were screams. Passing sailors went mad, leaping into the sea to their deaths. Then the island and all its inhabitants vanished. Jabal's doom. Saleh shivered. He had heard those tales as a child. How could an entire island vanish? They also say, Osman countered, that King Jabal's wealth remains there, ripe for the taking. No one's known where to find the island city. Until now. Saleh goggled, parsing his meaning. You mean to try and go there? Osman grinned wider. Oh, I mean to do more than try. He turned to the others. And I ask all of you to come with me. Keep quiet for now. The crew may be put off by this venture. I'm sure they'll come around in the end, but best we're in the thick of it by then. A stillness descended about the table as a yowling gale sounded outside. Everyone exchanged glances. Raiding merchant vessels was one thing. Plundering some cursed island was another. Osman patiently waited them out, as if knowing that was all he had to do. Devils take me, Cooley sighed finally. I'll go. Too rich a chance to pass up. He swung his gaze to Saleh. But only if the lucky fool comes along. He found the wretched map. Seems only fair. Saleh took a step back. What? Yes, Barisha echoed, her grey eyes aglow. The lucky fool found the map. I'd feel better with a bit of his dumb fortune. Wager the rest of the crew says the same when they find out he's going. I'll go if the lucky fool does, Askard Adali called Kanja agreed. Saleh listened in stunned silence as others joined, each nodding approval at the brilliant plan. Wait, he shouted above their conversation. All eyes turned to him. No one's asked lucky fool, I mean me, if I want to go. Osman frowned, genuinely perplexed. Why wouldn't you? Saleh gaped at the man. Perhaps because it's a haunted island with a mad king and the one knows what else? Osman laughed. Do you really believe those fanciful tales, old player? Something happened to that city, Saleh countered. It's in the histories. I've read the histories these past two days, Osman remarked, gesturing to a stack of books. They only say that Arachi fell. There's nothing about a curse. The wealthy rely on fear and superstitions to keep the masses oppressed. Saleh was in no mood for philosophy. Why not take the archivist? It's his map. Osman laid a hand on his shoulder. Because he's not a member of this crew and sits where he belongs. 
tending the furnace in the bowels. Fortune brought you to us, old player, and you brought us this map. Saleh shook his head. I'm just an old player, nothing more. I'm sorry. Osman stared at him for a while, then sighed. Very well. You won't be forced. Only, as you found the map, it's a shame you will not claim your share of the twelfth. The amount could be substantial, enough to pay off your necromancer. Saleh eyed the man dubiously. You expect to find that much? Osman shrugged. You know the histories as I. The wealth of Arachi is legendary. Mountains of gold, I have heard, Barisha put in. She elbowed Kuli. Yes, mountains, the sour man sang. Jewels too, I expect. Saleh licked his lips. That would indeed be enough to settle his debts. Enough to whisk Neshi away from her mother. Maybe even buy up her estates. The thought of putting the noblewoman in the streets actually made him giddy. But there was still that matter of a dead king and a curse. Think of all the songs you could tell of Arachi, Barisha added. What other old player will be able to make such boasts? Saleh paused. Now that was tempting. The words of Mahir the Magnificent played in his ears. Sing what you know. Tell tales that you have lived. He looked about at the expectant faces. Osman grinned at his silence, like a man who knew he'd just tossed a winning hand at dice. Are we decided then, old player? he asked. Saleh slowly nodded, wondering if he'd lost all sense since being around these brigands. But how could he say no to riches and songs? The one keep him alive long enough to tell of both. The trip to Arachi took them far out onto the open sea. The crew was curious but dutiful. Keeping a secret on the beggar, however, turned out to be futile. As expected, when news of the plan broke, there was uproar. Saleh feared the mutiny, but Osman stood inside the melee like a rock in a storm. He instructed Saleh to play something soothing, and then the big man's booming voice broke through the din. Mouths fell silent, and he seemed to reach every ear, promising each treasure for their troubles and stoking their courage. By the end, they were cheering. But as they neared their destination, apprehension grew. Seasoned sailors like Bidar complained that the winds flowed oddly. Others claimed the seas were strange too, as were the clouds. Saleh himself knew nothing of either, but he could feel a difference in the air a cold that prickled the skin. The crew took to completing their tasks in silence, and he plucked his oud with somber tunes to match the mood. Arachi appeared one morning out of nothingness, shrouded by a mass of black clouds that sat upon the waters, extending high like a mountain. There were no screams like the stories told, only silence and stillness. Saleh watched that dark veil churn as if boiling, and his spine turned to ice. Jabal's doom, Osman proclaimed, appearing at his side. Saleh turned to regard him. I thought you didn't believe in that. The one or the many cast down Arachi for its greed, Osman replied. Destruction wrought by folly. That I believe in. Saleh looked into the blackness and shivered. But what do we do now? 
Isn't that greed? A slight smile creased Osman's face. We liberate stolen wealth. That is justice, not greed. Salah didn't bother to argue. How has nobody ever seen it? He wondered aloud. It's so obvious. I have thought on that myself, Osman responded. Perhaps Arachir remains hidden unless it is sought. Sorcery can be strange. Saleh frowned, looking up at the man. You make it sound like the island's alive, like it's expecting us. Osman said nothing more, walking away and leaving the disquieting notion unanswered. A short while later, the small party was on a lone dhow that skimmed low across the waters. Saleh clutched his oud tight as they approached. They were twelve altogether now each with large sacks and a few burly yuangari with wooden chests strapped to their back. All had weapons. Osman carried his great rifle and saber. Saleh was this time given a small pistol, which he tucked into his waist. The thing felt like a snake coiled there, but it gave some comfort. We're going in! Kuli cried. It was the only warning before the cloud enveloped them. Saleh looked around. Blind, he could see nothing, not even his hand. Everywhere was darkness, a black thick as a wall. The coldness grew here, like thousands of tiny unseen teeth biting into his skin, threatening to freeze his blood. There was suffocation and a moment of panic as he fought to breathe. Then they were through. He drew a long breath, clutching at his pounding heart. Most of the others seemed similarly shaken, except for Osman, who stood resolute. He sometimes wondered if the man was human. In the newly revealed sky, the sun shone dully as if filtered through a veil, rendering midday as twilight. The waters here barely moved, and the sail of their dow turned limp in the lifeless breeze. There were no birds either, not a single gull that winged or cried. It was as if everything was gone, or worse, Saleh feared, dead. The Dao arrived at a white painted pier. Ancient seaborne vessels with pristine sails and dozens of oars bobbed upon the waters, their decks empty. Disembarking, the small party walked along a stone pier and stood gaping. The lost city of Arachi lay sprawled out before them an array of bulbous spires with colonnaded buildings that competed in opulence. They seemed built one upon the other, with walls that gleamed beneath that unnatural sun. It's very clean, Saleh murmured. Not a single building looked to have fallen into disrepair. Trees and gardens sat tended, as if recently pruned. Even fountains spewed water that flowed uninterrupted onto colorful mosaic tiles. A thousand years gone, and the vanished city of Arachi remained untouched by time. So where do we go now? Barisha asked as they reached the pier's end. Her blades were sheathed, but she kept her hands on the pommels. Where indeed, Salah wondered. The city was a labyrinth. Searching it would take days. If I was a greedy king, Osman pronounced with an air of certainty. I would make my palace large and magnificent and surround myself with my wealth. He pointed and every eye followed. In the distance, 
A golden dome rose high above all else, like a second sun, in what must have been the heart of the city. Its surface glittered even in the dull light, while a twisting spire reached from its top towards the heavens. Jabal's palace, Salah marveled. He could already imagine the songs this sight would inspire. The stories say under the midday sun, the sight of it blinded those who stared too long. Then we should stop staring and get about our business, Osman proposed. Motioning them forward with his rifle, he began walking. Saleh took a place in the middle of the small party that moved through Arachi's lonely streets. They passed shops and markets where goods hung ready as if expecting buyers. Food remained piled atop stalls unspoiled, as if awaiting the return of those who made them. Saleh wondered to himself what the city would have looked like filled with people. More to the point, where might all of them have gone? When one of the Adali reached for some fruit that lay in a basket, his companion stopped him with a hiss. Saleh agreed. He would starve before taking a morsel from this unnatural place. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. As they moved closer to the palace, the grandeur of the city grew. Saleh stared up at vast halls and towering statues of winged beings cut from cobalt blue stone, Monuments he speculated to rulers or gods. It was then that he first felt the odd tingling at the nape of his neck, as if he were being watched. His gaze darted to cut out windows and arched doorways. All were empty. Still, he could not rid himself of the feeling. Voicing his concern, he found he was not alone. Eyes, Barisha said looking about. Endless eyes following us. I feel it too, old player. The others murmured in agreement, peering into alleys at still shadows. Keep your mind on the task, Osman ordered, never breaking his stride, or it will wander down dark paths. The palace is near now. Come. They quickened their pace, but try as he might, Saleh could not push away the uneasiness. Neither could his companions, whose fingers strummed along weapons as if expecting an ambush. When they reached the steps of the palace, the small party took them hurriedly, eager to leave the open streets. They stopped before two towering doors of dark wood worked with gold. Osman and the burly Yuangari took hold of bronze handles fashioned in the shape of lions and pulled until the muscles on their arms strained in exertion. The wooden doors groaned and creaked stubbornly, but slowly parted, revealing their hidden secrets. Saleh gawked as they stepped through the open doors. Jabal's palace was even more opulent on the inside, filled with statuary and pottery that could have come from a hundred different lands. Rich tapestries decorated the walls, covered with designs of sunbursts and bright flowers, competing with intricately woven rungs that extended the length of the halls. Walking the corridors in silence, he marveled at craftsmanship, made by hands over a thousand years dead. When they stopped again, it was before a set of black doors 
adorned with interlocking stars. This time, Hasman ordered two other men to pull them open, standing with his rifle at the ready. Salih stood ready as well, a hand on the small pistol at his waist and his heart pounding. He was not certain what to expect, as fanciful tales of angry spirits and other fears danced in his head. When the men finally pulled the doors open, his breath caught, and he thought he might faint away. It was a chamber. Gold sat piled within, making dunes a man could climb. Coins and bars, plates big as platters. Fist-sized jewels sparkled among them, alongside ivory carvings and silver chalices ornamented with sky-blue sapphires or blood-red rubies. Saleh swooned at the sight. Enough to pay off a sorcerer? Buy Neshi's mother's estates? There was wealth enough here to make him perhaps the richest man in the kingdoms. Osman began a low laugh that fast built into a booming rumble. The others joined in, cheering like wanderers who had completed some quest. And then the looting began. The small party ran amidst the heaps of wealth, filling sacks, chests and pockets. There was little need to squabble. The room contained more than enough to go around. Kuli lauded over a curved sword, its hilt adorned with orange gems. Barisha lifted a necklace of ruby fire drops, each large as a hen's egg, which she claimed as a gift for Dali. Saleh followed suit, picking through the valleys of riches, at times wishing he had brought a larger bag. And that was how he came across the man, or what had once been a man. Saleh shrieked at sight of the shriveled corpse wrapped in bright saffron robes. It sat against a golden mound, its once living skin stretched like parchment across bony limbs withered to bone. A bulbous hat layered in gems was fitted onto the corpse's head, though it seemed overly large for the shrunken frame. No, Saleh corrected, looking closer. Not a hat, a crown. He jumped as the others found him. Berisha frowned, glancing around with her swords drawn. We heard a scream. Like a woman's, Kuli purred. It did not sound like a woman, Saleh snapped, indignant. Kuli only snickered. Saleh began another retort, but took a breath. I was startled by this. He pointed to the corpse. Osman stepped forward, bending down to lift the rigid body upright so that its empty sockets stared out from a contorted visage fixed eternal in death. King Jebel, he murmured, so this was your fate, wealthy man. Saleh's eyes rounded. The mighty and fabled King Jebel. He must have locked himself in here with his riches, he surmised. As his city died about him, Osman derided, he came to be with his gold. He looks frightened, Barisha noticed with unease. Saleh agreed. On that dead man's face was fear that reached through the ages. Maybe he knew what his greed reaped for him in the next life, Osman jeered. Standing, he shifted his big rifle to one shoulder. Let's finish here and leave the king to his realm. The others turned away, returning to their looting but Saleh found himself still staring at the Jebel's unhappy corpse. Here was the man of stories and legends 
who had unleashed a terrible evil that consumed his people. He wondered if wherever Jabal's spirit lay in torment, it now howled in rage at their pilfering. It was by chance that his eyes fell to the man's lap. Clutched in those desiccated hands was a thing of wood and strings. Salih bent to look closer. Did his eyes deceive him? An oud? Or something similar? More square than pear shape, but in many ways an oud? Sure enough, in the other hand, the dead king held a small glittering item between his thumb and forefinger. Salih reached down, grimacing as he pried withered fingers apart to pluck out the small treasure. It was a risha, a golden risha. He stared at it in wonder. The thing was perfectly shaped, smoother and lighter than gold should have been. Yet who had ever heard of a golden risha? Hardy tortoise shell, eagle quill, or cow horn made for a good risha. And why would a king, surrounded by all his wealth, clutch so hard to this? Had he spent his final moments amusing himself with song while his city fell? Was Jabal truly such a monster? He would have thought on these things further had he not heard the voices. Saleh jumped up, whirling to look about. No one was there. But the voices remained, a buzzing that grew louder by the moment. There were many voices, like people talking all at once. No, not talking. They were singing. A clash of discordant melodies. Yet strain as he might, he couldn't make out its content or source. It was as if there were people looming right over his shoulder, whispering into his ears. Seeking his companions, he found they had gone still. So they heard it too. What is that? Cooley asked, shaking his head as if to rid it of a fly. It's coming from all around us, Barisha said. Her swords were back out, and she spun about, searching. Salih looked back to the dead king, an uneasiness gnawing inside him. Stuffing the golden risha into a pocket, he backed away. I think we should go. I think we've been here long enough. Osman frowned deep his eyes roaming. For the first time, uncertainty marred his face. Take what you have, he said at last. We leave now. No one needed to be told twice. They packed their plunder, rushing from the chamber and staggering beneath the weight. It was Barisha who noticed what little light that existed disappearing from the hall, consumed by creeping shadows. Their walk soon became a run, the unseen voices now blaring like trumpets. Saleh almost cried out in relief as the palace doors came into sight. He passed through them in a sprint, eager even for the open discomfort of Arachis streets. What he found, however, was horror. Beneath a sky roiling with black clouds, the once empty city was filled with people, men, women, and children. They ran through the streets, screaming, wailing, crying, and clutching their ears. And the things they did. Men hacked one another with swords. Women plunged knives into their own throats, all while weeping in terror. Children tore at each other with teeth and nails like animals. And the dead did not remain so. Saleh watched in horror as a man was ripped apart, only to have those same pieces knit back into some grotesque semblance 
now walking on hands with his head nestled into his belly's glistening entrails. He shrieked his terrible song, lashing out with misshapen limbs. The song, Barisha stammered through clenched teeth. It is the song. And then Saleh heard the words that poured in his ears for true. The song spoke of death. It called to him, crooning, besieging him to rip out his own tongue, to rip out the tongues of his companions, to break their bones and suck their marrow, to make their bodies dance anew. It not only sang, it compelled, pushed, urged and enticed him to join in the murderous revelry, to become part of this carnival of chaos. This was Jebel's doom what had destroyed the fabled city and claimed its inhabitants. There was a shout, and Saleh turned to see one of the burly Yuangari clawing at his face. The chest on his back slipped away, crashing to the ground and spilling its contents. He looked up at them, screaming with laughter as he offered up his plucked-out eyes between bloodied fingers. With a blood-curdling howl, he ran off to join the mayhem, dancing to his death song. Saleh tried to hold the contents of his stomach down and found he was unsuccessful. Get to the pier, Osman shouted, pointing with his rifle. Move, you fools! The big man's words were like the crack of a whip. They ran, stepping into the maelstrom, going around the damned when they could or through them. Makeshift staves pummeled flesh, swords cut down reaching limbs. Osman's great rifle thundered, tearing through bodies. Saleh learned fast these were no apparitions. One took hold of him, a woman, her neck oddly twisted about as she ran on all fours like a beast. He floundered for his pistol, only to have it tumble from his shaking hand. The woman bore him down beneath her, teeth snapping viciously, until a sword swipe from Barisha severed her head, sending it spinning. She pried the still groping body from atop him, kicking it away. Together, they stumbled to what remained of their party, which now took shelter beneath the broad wings of a statue. We won't make it! Kuli wheezed, doubled over in exhaustion. We go on! Osman growled. He bent to reload his rifle, where smoke poured from the flared muzzle. But there are too many! Barisha panted. And they don't die! She was right. The press of bodies had grown, and those cut down rose anew, more grotesque. They had lost two more of their number to the song, one ripping out another's throat. Saleh wondered which of them would be the next to surrender. He clutched at the prayer beads in his pocket, fervently begging that the one carry them from this nightmare. But the song competed with his pleas. He tried not to listen, but it was insistent, seductive, burrowing into his mind. If he could just shut the voices out, do away with the damned song. There is only one cure for bad music, better music. Mahir the Magnificent's words reached him through time and a haze of hashish smoke. Swinging his oud around, Saleh fumbled in his pocket for a risha and plucked the oud's strings. There was a resonance, a terrific roar that surged outward, so strong it seemed to Saleh he could see it a wave of golden light that flowed as it went. He turned to find every eye staring at him. By the one and the many, Kuli's melodic voice was a whisper. What was that? Salah had no answer. 
he looked down confounded to find something unexpected between his fingers. The golden Risha. He had distinctly reached for his own, yet this one found its way into his hands. Look upon this, Barisha breathed. Saleh followed her gaze to the streets. Wherever the golden wave had touched, the chaos vanished, leaving clear paths empty of people and murder. Even the horrid song seemed to have lessened. Osman reached to grip Saleh hard by the shoulders. His face was a grim mask splattered in gore. I don't know what you've done, old player, but by the gods do it again. The rest of you, we run. Drop the cursed gold if you must. Riches aren't worth our lives. Saleh required no further urging. Putting the risha to the strings he played, once more the beautiful melody of golden light flowed from him, pure and cleansing. He was singing now, words to a song he didn't know, as the risha guided his lips and fingers. It told of Arachi and King Jabal, who through a magic risha played music so sweet it enslaved Ifrit to do his bidding. They were his to control, until one day the Ifrit learned the secrets to his song. Freed from their bondage, they sang their vengeance onto the doomed city. Jabal tried to stop them, but he found the Risha would no longer work for him. In fear and horror, he locked himself away, desperately trying to retrieve its lost magic. Saleh played on, the music of his Oud and the golden Risha drowning out the deathly voices. Paths opened up for them, and wherever the golden wave struck, the damned vanished into motes of dissipating light. They were almost upon the stone pier, the survivors laughing giddily at the rescue of their lives when the great roar crashed around them. It sounded to Saleh like a hundred beasts, all screaming in a mangle of tongues. He turned in time to see a monstrous shape descending from the sky in a swirling torrent of black clouds. They parted to reveal a terror tall as a mountain, with fiery wings wreathed in flames. It stood in the midst of the doomed city, its horned head shrouded in shadows, its gaze and a gaping maw burning with the light of ten suns. By the one and the many, Kuli cried in dread, it is a devil. Saleh shook his head. No, he replied through clenched teeth, an ifrit, Goragan, the keeper of songs. He stepped forward, his feet as guided by the Risha as the words on his lips. The thing seemed alive, speaking to him, telling him all he needed to know. Plucking the Oud once, he released a wave of light towards the fiery giant, who clove it in two with a forked sword, all the while screaming its rage, the rage of its enslavement, its humiliation, its insatiable vengeance. The Ifrit began to chant, weaving a cacophonous song that Saleh could now see, tendrils of blood that snaked in every direction, seeking out ears to listen. He struck back, plucking the oud this time in a continuous rhythm, creating a scale of such complexity he could not conceive it in his mind. His fingers danced across the strings, and with each stroke, waves of light crashed into the effort like a sea, severing the bloody tendrils. The two settled into battle, the mortal with a golden risha, against a being that had seen worlds born and spun to ash. Saleh faintly heard the voices of his companions calling out to him, but they seemed far off. All that he knew now was the music, 
the beautiful celestial song of the Oud made by the golden Risha. It swept him up in a whirlwind, wrapping him in armor against the Efrit's onslaught. His fingers tore and bled, and yet he played, the power of the song building in him like untainted light. By the one, by the many, he was light. He was the song, and the song was everything. There was a scream, his own, competing with the roar of the Efrit. And then there was nothing. Saleh sat on the bow of the beggar, watching clouds fly above the airship, feeling the sun and air on his face. The ship's healer, a tall Yuangari who claimed to have studied medicine, said it was good for him. Then again, the man had also forced him to drink that wretched, bitter black tea, and then he had wanted to stick him full of needles. He managed to escape by claiming he was better. After all, their ordeal in Arachi had been days past. He awakened to find himself weak as a child, in a bed Osman assigned to him specially. The man had personally carried Salah back to the Dao to make their escape. But Parisha, and even a grudging coolie, had told the entire ship of his deed, his battle of songs against the Ifrit. Now they fashioned for him a new nickname, Salah the Great. He had long wanted to earn a fitting sobriquet, but he never imagined it would be among pirates. Rested now? a voice asked. Saleh turned from staring at his bandaged fingers to find Osman striding towards him. Much rested, he replied. I haven't had a chance to thank you for rescuing me. Osman barked one of his big, unnerving bouts of mirth. Why, I remember it, old player. You're the one who did the rescuing. Make sure you get that part right, hero, when you tell your song. Saleh felt a heated blush beneath his skin. Him? A hero? He wondered what Neshi would think. Your share of the gold from Arachi is in my hold, the man went on, much smaller than you probably hoped. Saleh sighed. Most of the riches they pilfered had been lost in their escape. What they managed to bring back, once divided among the crew, was not even enough to settle a quarter of his debts. There had been half-hearted talk about making a second trip, but the island had vanished again and Osman and his inner circle had the map burned. Saleh didn't blame them. We'll make port by week's end, Osman said. I can drop you off in Amsra. But if you're looking for refuge, at least while still in this sorcerer's debt, you're welcome here. He paused, a frown darkening his face. And what of the Risha? Saleh had known that was coming. No one forgot something like that. Reaching into his pocket, he withdrew what he had tucked away so carefully. The Risha glinted gold in the morning sun, deceptive in its smallness. The thing had rarely been from his thoughts. Where do you think it comes from? he asked. Who can say? Osman murmured, his eyes hardening on the Risha. The world is full of wonders. It's undoubtedly a thing of magic, powerful enough to ensnare even an Ifrit. Saleh thought momentarily of the fiery being. It had so much anger. If you could have felt... He shivered. There was no way to describe it. The hatred of a slave, Osman asserted. Anger was its right, as was its vengeance. Saleh regarded him in shock. 
You sound like you're on its side. It would have killed us if it could. Done to us what it did to Arachi. All those people. He shivered again. Osman nodded solemnly. Who is to blame when the slave rises up and sets its master's house on fire? No being deserves to be shackled. Saleh let the matter drop. He would never understand this strange man. His eyes went back to the golden risha. I could probably become the greatest old player in the land, create music that would be remembered for ages. But would it be your music, old player? Osman probed. Would such music truly be guided by your hands? He paused. I tried to take it from you. Saleh looked up in alarm. While you slept, Osman confessed, his voice low. I thought on the good to which I could put a thing of such power. I am, after all, a man of vision. With that risha, I could lift the veils from the minds of so many, make them see how they are exploited, fill them with the fire to overthrow this corrupt order that oppresses us. Saleh stared at the big man. There was a hunger in those eyes, and it unsettled him. What stopped you? he asked. Osman's gaze hardened on the risha. Jabal, he said tightly. The doomed king achieved much with this magic, but became a slave to it himself. That is the secret of power, old player. It corrupts the just as well as the wicked. Saleh looked down to the risha, tracing a finger along its length. Its promises whispered across his thoughts, but catching sight of Osman's face, he saw a man waging an inner struggle. He might try to take the risha again if given a chance. The pirate prince was indeed a man of vision, and he would yearn for the Risha's power, much perhaps as it yearned for him. Probably for the best, he sighed. Placing the Risha on top of his thumb, he held it aloft, then in one motion flicked it over the bow, sending it to the sea far below. Osman released a held breath. For the best, old player, he agreed, clapping Saleh's shoulder. The pirate prince turned and walked back to overseeing his crew. Saleh watched him go, and then with satisfaction, pulled the golden risha from inside his sleeve. He smiled at the sleight of hand. He had finally mastered that Yuangari trick, and just in the nick of time at that. Perhaps he would rid himself of the thing one day, but not just yet. His visions, after all, were much smaller. With a chuckle, he placed the treasure deep into his pocket and pulled out his worn bit of tortoise shell. Leaning back upon the bow, he returned to plucking out an unfinished tune, an ode to a fat-bottomed girl named Neshi, who liked to watch him dance with silver bells in his hair. I just love the sense of action, the adventure, the fact that you get these surprising twists at the very end. I don't know what you thought about the the final big climactic fight with the inside the city, Marco. Oh, I loved it. I, I loved everything about the story. It's, it's, you know, as we've been saying all along, pure adventure. It is swashbuckling. It's got a bit of horror and even an ominous ending that, you know, can be left open to interpretation. Yeah, I, and 
this story completely emphasizes what happens if you have the bard of your campaign be the main character. <laughs> oh, that's that's very well put. And and you know, one thing that occurs to me while I was experiencing the story was how it it kind of has a vibe like the Princess Bride or Neil Gaiman Stardust. You know, it's got the airships, it's got, you know, the the adventure, it's it's got the colorful crew and 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 this humor that, you know, even when the situations are 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 deadly serious, there's that you know, ripple of humor that and and lightness that permeates the story all the way through. Yeah, and on top of the humor, I just really love all the food descriptions. <laughs> you know, it, it just provides another layer, and it's such a a trademark of so many fantasy stories just mm-hmm. to have like really delicious, rich, succulent like meals laid out, like everyone snacking on something. You know, I can't. Imagine like you have a cook on an airship and instead of like hardtack or like dried fish, you have all these like lovely rice cakes. Oh, yeah. And, you know, an elegant like layered curries. And I'm like, how how does that happen? I guess it right. must be all the steam. It just makes it more convenient to cook. I guess it does. Yeah. And I have to say the the ending did remind me, though, you thought of The Princess Bride. I thought of Tenacious D and the Pick of Destiny. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Well, it sounds like we agree that that was one wild ride. Thanks for hopping aboard the beggar with me, Diana. Oh, yeah. I'm glad to do any high flying anytime. And if you enjoyed that ride as well, listeners, feel free to give us a five star review on your podcast platform of choice and join us next time for a pair of monster stories, one on a university campus and another on a tour bus in Iceland. And if you happen to play music that wakes the dead, well, pleasant nightmares. You're listening to Stories to Keep You Up at Night, created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Stories to Keep You Up at Night, Episode 5, Features with a Golden Risha, Part 2, by P. Jelly Clark. It is produced by Marco Palmieri and Mary Asadolahi. Associate produced by Alexis Latshaw. And executive produced by Molly Barton, Julian Yap, and Marcy Wiseman. Hosted by Marco Palmieri and Diana M. Foe. Performed by Wallace Hammond. Audio produced by Amanda Rose Smith and Tidef Studios. Additional editing by Angela Yee. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi, featuring drummer Andrew Niven and mixed by Max Kuttner. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Find more shows like Stories to Keep You Up at Night 
by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.